We're going to continue our study this morning through the Gospel of John, and we come this morning to John chapter 9. So if you have your Bible, you can turn with me, or you can find the text printed for you in your bulletin. This might be one of those uh, texts that it would be good if you could grab a pew Bible, or if you have your Bible, pull it out, because we're going to be kind of looking around a little bit, and it might help give you some context this morning uh, for our passage This is John chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7, and then I'll also read 24 through 41. This is God's word. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Skip down now to verse 24. So for the second time, and so they'd already questioned and interrogated the man once. They come back, they actually went to his parents, and now they're coming back to him. So for a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, well, that is an amazing thing. Here's, that's why, the reason why that is amazing is because, right, the Pharisees are supposed to know everything. They're experts. And he's saying, how do you not know this? You not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God did not, does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since, and ever since the world began, It has been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And so they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind... You would have no guilt, but now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. This is God's word. Let me pray. 
and ask God to come through his spirit this morning and to help us. Let's pray together. Father, there are lots of things this morning that keep us from seeing clearly. We've got lots of distractions. We have things going on in our families. We're dealing with our own personal disappointments. Some of us are bored. Some of us are full of fear and anxiety. We're experiencing suffering, addiction. Many of us are filled with doubt. You tell us that your word is a lamp to our feet. And it is a light to our path. And so give us sight this morning from your word. And help us to see Jesus more clearly. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Like many of you, uh, I am a contact lens wearer. And I have talked to people over the years that have either gotten glasses or contacts and And everybody seems to have this similar experience, and so if you have contacts uh, this morning, maybe you can relate to this story. I'll never forget, I I remember the day, I was a freshman in high school, and I don't know if I was just walking around pretty much blind my whole life, and it just hit me or what, but I was a freshman in high school sitting on the back row, the teacher is writing on the board, and I just couldn't see it, and I'd sat on the back row my whole life. And so I did something that I didn't want to do. I had to go to the front row so that I could actually see the board and take down notes. I went home. I was telling my mom about this experience. And she says, I think we need to to the eye doctor. So I went and I got an exam and I walked out. And I'll never forget the day I walked outside with 20-20 vision. It was a whole new world. I could not believe everything around me seemed to come to life because I was seeing clearly for the first time. The trees, signs, things far away were sharper than they had ever been. I needed these contact lenses in order to see objects more clearly. Why do I tell you that story this morning? Well, because John chapter 9 is about seeing. How do we know? Well, look at John chapter 9, and you'll see the word eyes is used nine times in chapter 9. And anytime we read and study our Bibles and we see a word that's repeated, that should automatically make us think, whoa, what what is the author trying to teach us? Because oftentimes that helps us get to the meaning of the passage, and that is what's happening here in John 9. John 9 acts as a set of contact lenses, so to speak. It's a lens for us to help us see the world more clearly. And specifically, John wants us to see three things more clearly through this passage. He wants us to see suffering more clearly. Secondly, pride, our own pride. And thirdly, our heart. So suffering, if you're a note taker, pride, And then our own hearts. Let's look at number one, suffering. Look at verse one. It says that he saw, and I love this. uh, It almost, we can just move right over it. He saw a man that was blind from birth. We have seen this the entire book of John. Jesus uh, notices hurting people. Think about the woman at the well. Think about the man at the pool. 
And listen, I think I just want to talk. I think that's important for us to always bring up because we come into this place every Sunday morning, and for the most part, we look pretty good, don't we? We you can look at us and say, We've got it all together. We look good on the outside. But friends, I want you to know that on the inside, in a room this size, there are people dealing with lots and lots of hurt and pain. Lots of hurting people sit in this room this morning. And if we had x-ray vision and we could see into the hearts and to the souls of our neighbors, let me just tell you, we would break down and weep most likely. Because of the things that we are struggling with in this room. And so this morning, that's just so encouraging for me, this passage, the way it begins, and what we see the entire gospel. And so if you're hurting this morning and you are in pain, if you don't hear me say anything else this morning, here's what I want you to hear. Jesus sees your pain, and he knows your pain, and he cares about your pain. He does. He knows the betrayal that you might feel. He knows the struggle with infertility. He knows the chronic pain that you deal with on a daily basis and the disease and the sickness and the loneliness. And some of you, maybe as you're getting older, you're thinking about your death and you are afraid. Jesus knows those things. The depression and the family strife and the addiction that won't go away. He notices and he cares. And look at verse 2. The disciples hear this interaction and with incredible pastoral sensitivity. I'm joking. They look at this hurting man and they say, Jesus, what's going on? This guy, someone, somewhere is messed up along the way. It's either this man has sinned or his parents have sinned for this to have happened to him. And evidently, it was kind of an assumed thing for the disciples to think this. And most scholars believe that that was uh, evidently a a widely held belief back then. Someone was born blind, you can trace a direct line back to someone had committed a terrible sin. Either them or their parents. And so they're puzzled by this. But look at what Jesus does in verse 3. He dismisses that line of thinking very, very quickly. It's not their parents. It's not this man's parents. It's not him. But it's so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. But notice here, sidebar, Jesus did not say that there are never consequences to sin. We can think of a thousand examples of consequences for sin. That's not what Jesus is saying. But what Jesus is trying to communicate and correct here is this idea that you can trace a direct straight line to how a person looks on the outside and what they're struggling with to their goodness or badness. And Jesus wants to correct that in us this morning as well. Because it's instinctive for us to think this way, isn't it? It's instinctive for us to either look at what's happening in the world and say, boy, that country must have really messed up for that to happen to them. Or even within our own country, or that person, or that family. Or even we turn it inward, don't we? And we, when things don't quite go our way and work out for us, we immediately turn 
to the inside and say, well, I must have done something bad for God to bring this into my life. The breakup with the love of your life, the person that you thought you were going to marry happens suddenly. Or you get sick, or your family falls apart, or you fall into depression and you can't get out of it, or you lose a job or can't get a job, and instinctively in that moment, what happens is we tend to turn towards self-hatred and self-pity. And we put ourselves on the witness stand. Have you done this? And we start to cross-examine ourselves, don't we? What did I do? God must be mad at me. I probably deserve this. And we lay in bed to all hours of the night, thinking back through our calendar, thinking, maybe that was it. Oh, no, maybe it was because I did that. But somehow this is my fault. And we think, if I would have just done better, then I would have a better life. And Jesus says to every one of us this morning, just like he said to the disciples, don't go there. Don't go there. It is wrong for us to automatically think that all of our troubles are due to sin. Why? Well, because we live in a broken, fallen world. We live in a world that doesn't work right. And, God, and we need to say this regularly in the Christian community. Just because you're a Christian and because you love God with all of your heart doesn't mean that any of us are exempt from suffering and discomfort this morning. Because sin is mysterious. And sin is, or, uh, suffering is mysterious and it's very, very complex. And Jesus says, stop trying to decode it. <laughs> stop trying to always figure out the cause and effect of the bad things that happen in your life. Look at verses 6 and 7. And so then Jesus, he spits on the ground. He does something very earthy. And I'm going to tell you, it must have been a lot of spit. <laughs> because he takes this saliva and basically makes two mud pies. And he puts them on this guy's eyes. And listen, some of you, maybe you've grown up in the church... Uh, but in the Bible Belt, we can read, some of us have read this our whole life, and we're thinking, yeah, whatever. Think about this. <laughs> this man, who's been blind from birth, is probably walking with a cane, and Jesus commands him. He puts these mud pies on his eyes, and this man is walking to the pool of Siloam <laughs> with mud pies. That, that must have been a sight. People are probably thinking, what in the world is happening here? Why did Jesus use mud pies? He didn't have to use mud pies. But he does. Remember, all throughout John, he heals with a word. Or we even see him in the Gospels. Someone comes up and said, my son's at home, sick in the bed, and he heals people at a distance. But why the mud? Well, scholars have spent a lot of ink trying to figure that out. And the answer is simply, we don't really know. But here's what we do know. He heals him, and when he heals him, this man becomes a picture of God's power, a picture of God's healing work. The man was born blind from his birth so that on this day, Jesus could heal him and so that God would be glorified. I don't know why you're suffering this morning. 
And we might, you don't know the answer to that, and you might not ever know the, the answer to that. We're allowed, I don't think it's a profitable question, you're allowed to ask why, because Jesus asked why. Remember on the cross? My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Why am I suffering? And Jesus didn't get an answer. And we don't get the answer to the why of our suffering. But here's what I want us to hear this morning. Your suffering, whatever it is, it is not meaningless. You see, that's the beauty of the gospel and of Christianity. It's that it always has a purpose in your life. And we think of that verse, which in my opinion, Romans 8.28, God uses all things works all things together for His good and glory. And I want to be careful there. That verse has been used lots of times over the years to do lots of damage to lots of people who are suffering terribly. We just walk right in the middle of someone suffering and say, but God's using all things together for His glory. And it ends up being a very hurtful thing. There is a time and a place to share that because it's true. We need to be pastoral and Use that with sensitivity. But what I want us to hear is that is true. God uses good things. It says all things together. Good things and bad things. And he brings them all together to display his glory in the world. And so here's the the first point. Someone who is seeing clearly is someone who when bad things comes into their lives, they don't immediately think God doesn't love me anymore. They think God is using this in some way that I might not understand to give me something that I need so that I might become more like Him. And I think that is huge and should comfort you this morning is that whatever the reason is for your pain this morning, it cannot be that God doesn't love you. How do we know? Because you look at the cross and you see that on that cross, God loved you to death. And that Jesus took the punishment so that you wouldn't have to take the punishment. All the punishment fell on him. Secondly, pride. Look at verses 24 through 34. So they've already questioned him. They've questioned his parents. And now they come back to him. And the interrogation gets a little more intense. If you look at the, uh, the verses why did Jesus, Jesus, do, how did he do this? And the man basically pushes back and says, I've told you once, do I have to tell you again, were you not listening? Do you want to be his disciples too? And it's, there it is, boom. The bomb went off at that moment. When they said, do you want to be his disciples too? That sent them right over the edge. Everything that was on the inside of the Pharisees came bubbling out at that point. Look at verse 34. You're a sinner. And you've been a sinner since birth. How dare you question me? How dare you teach us anything? How dare you tell us there is something in us that needs to be changed? And they put all their cards right out on the table, didn't they? Because what that implies, the way the Pharisees are talking is they thought they were doing just fine. Thank you very much. It's Palm Sunday. And this is a very important day in the life of the church because it's the day that Jesus begins his journey towards the cross. 
And as we begin Holy Week, let us not forget this. That it was the Pharisees that killed Jesus. Let me be more specific. It was the regular churchgoers of Jesus' day that killed him. It was the people who knew their Bible the best and who had the best morals. It was not the prostitutes. It was not the drunkards. It was not the tax collectors. It was the people that were involved in all sorts of religious activities. And so why in the world did they hate Jesus so much? Because Jesus gave them an eye exam. He gave them an eye exam and he says, you don't see quite as clearly as you think you do and you need a new set of lenses. He exposed them. He exposed their pride and they didn't like it and so they wanted to kill him. You see, friends, one of the surest signs that you and I aren't seeing clearly is our pride. And we see the pride really bubble up and manifest in two ways in this passage. And the first is this. You think you're better than other people. That's the Pharisees very clearly. Uh, they thought this guy's sin was really big and their sin was really small. That's the first sign. You think that you're better than other people. Secondly, a sign that you're not seeing clearly is you get defensive and you're not teachable. Remember the Pharisees. You see, people who are blind cannot stand to be wrong. And they cannot stand when someone criticizes them. And so their reaction, their knee-jerk reaction is always, how dare you teach me anything? How dare you question me? Do you see the difference here between this man who had seen Jesus and met Jesus and had the blinders removed? And the Pharisees, it's, it's a stark difference. The man is a picture of someone who sees clearly. He's not arrogant. He's poised. He doesn't get defensive. He just simply says, I was blind, but now I see. Incredible courage and humility and peace in the midst of this very intense interrogation. And it actually reminds me, this story reminded me of a story I had heard about a man by the name of John Stuart Blackie. John Stuart Blackie is a picture for us this morning of someone who sees clearly. Blackie was a professor in Edinburgh, Scotland, very famous, an educator. Uh, he was known for being the best teacher uh, in the area. Uh, the, the students loved him, and he taught the classics, the Greek classics, and he would teach New Testament Greek, and he was old school, and so he did it old school, and he would have the students stand up in the class, and old school meant that you always held the Greek New Testament in your right hand, and you would stand up, and you would recite the Greek. And so he stood up, uh, this young student who, it was his first class with Blackie, and he stands up and he's holding the New Testament in his left hand. And Blackie says, you take your book and you sit down. The whole class was dead silence. He said, then all of a sudden, this man, this young man who had been called down, 
had the courage to raise his hand. And so he raises his right hand and there was no hand on the end of it. Because he didn't have a right hand. And then all of a sudden, the class grew more quiet. And you could hear someone weeping in the class. And it was the professor. It was Blackie who was weeping from his lectern up front. And he walked over to the man who he had shamed. And he said, I never knew. I am so sorry. Would you please forgive me? You see, I love that story. Because it's a picture of what knowledge is supposed to produce in us. It's a picture of someone who sees clearly because instead of knowledge leading you to repulsive pride like the Pharisees, it should lead us like Blackie to repentance and humility and to brokenness. That's what it looks like to see clearly as the people of God. Finally, number three, it helps us to see our heart more clearly. Remember Jesus' miracle, or in the miracles, John uses the word uh, to describe them as signs. Right? Miracles are signs. And what is a sign? Well, a sign points to a greater reality, points to something else. And so when Jesus heals this man, it should point us to something deeper, a greater and deeper reality. And so that's what he does here. Jesus says, I healed you. Now let's talk about the deeper reality. Let's talk about the point of the healing, which is not your eyes. Yes, I care about the eyes in your head. But more importantly, I care about the eyes in your heart. Look at verses 35 through 41. Again, this man is basically excommunicated from the synagogue. So he lost a lot of privileges, and now he was a social outcast. And look who shows up on the scene again. Who's drawn towards the outcast? There's Jesus again. And Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And this man who is healed says, well, there's no explanation, other explanation, uh, for the fact that I'm seeing. So, yeah, you just point me in the right direction, and I'm all in with the Son of Man. And think about what Jesus does. I love this. This man has not seen since he was born, and he says, you've seen him. He's standing right in front of you. It is he who is speaking to you. And what does this man do? He falls down on his face and he worships. And I love, if you look at the story, how this man grows in clarity of who Jesus is. If you look back at verse 11, he simply just says, a man named Jesus. And then we get to this verse and he says, Jesus, you are the son of man and he worships. He grows in the clarity of who Jesus is. That's an amazing part of the story. Then look at the end of the story. So the Pharisees, they overhear this, what Jesus is teaching, and they hear Jesus say that basically he came into the world so that the blind might see. But there are many people who think they see, but they don't recognize their need for me, and so they remain blind. And the Pharisees said, you talking about us? 
Are you saying we're blind? Look at verse 41. Yes, you are. Remember Matthew 23, Jesus calls them blind guides. We've got to see the irony here. Those who claimed spiritual sight, the Pharisees, were utterly blind. The man who was born blind, who knew he was blind, and knew he had a need, that is the person that Jesus gave sight. Don't let that pass. We need to hear what this passage is teaching us this morning. We need to let this passage hit us right between the eyes. Especially in a denomination that prides itself in theological accuracy and in Bible knowledge. And those are good things, don't get me wrong. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful here. But friends, the Pharisees could crush, me included, anybody in this room in Bible knowledge. They could crush any of us in Bible trivia. They gave more money away than we do. They prayed more than we do. They fasted more than we fast. And Jesus looks at them right in the eye and says, you are blind and you don't even know it. Whoa. And so then the question is, how do you know if you're blind? And I started thinking of ways to explain what it looks like and how do you know if you're blind. And I kept coming back to the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. You remember that story? The Pharisee goes into worship. He goes into the temple and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like that sinful guy. I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. And I'm not like other men, extortioners and unjust and adulterers. Because look at what I bring to the table. I fast three times a week. I give all that I have. And he goes down his list of all the things he's doing. And notice the focus of his worship. Who is it? It's himself. It's all about him and what he's doing in his performance. But the tax collector comes in and he says, all he says is he beats his chest and he says, God have mercy. Please have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you see the difference? That's it. That's the picture of someone who sees clearly. The tax collector sees clearly because he saw his need and knew that he needed something. And so when he, someone who sees clearly, comes into worship on Sunday morning and they hit the deck. They hit the deck. And they beat their breasts and they say, Jesus, have mercy on me. All they can think about is how gracious God has been with them through the person of Jesus Christ. But someone who is blind comes in or who has blurred vision or fuzzy vision comes in on Sunday morning worship and all they can think about is themselves. All they can think about It's what they have done and what they have not done. And Jesus quickly goes from being beautiful to a burden for them because they're so caught up not in what Jesus has done but in how they've performed that week. You see, someone who is blind comes in and their takeaway every Sunday morning is overwhelming guilt. I got to do better. 
I need to tighten up in this area or that area. I need to stop doing that and start doing this. Are there things that we need to start doing and stop doing? Absolutely. But if that's your takeaway, rather than the mercy and the goodness and the grace of God, then we have missed something. And we are not seeing clearly. And so how's your vision this morning? You see, you can be here this morning and be blind because you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus alone for your salvation. Or you can be here this morning and you could have faith and you could have sight, but yet your vision be blurred. And it can be blurred because, friends, the default mode in the human heart is to be a Pharisee. And so what's the answer? Well, the answer this morning is very simple. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus and cry out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Open my, my eyes. Help me to see more clearly myself and you and the world around me. And you know what? The good news is that we can do that and we don't have to be afraid. Because Jesus is kind and he is gentle and he's good and he will not run away from us. Friends, Jesus is the only hope this morning for gaining spiritual sight. He is the only hope for our healing. Let's pray. Father, all of us were born blind and we can't see unless you've have helped us to see. And so would you grant us greater clarity in our sight this morning. And if there are those here this morning that have sight, but it's still fuzzy, I pray that you would remove the barriers and you would help them to see more clearly. Thank you for being gracious with us, your people. In Jesus' name, amen.